0: Hello, everyone. This is Mark Garofli, a.k.a. The Pain Guy, host of The Pain Pod, where we like to say come one, come all to The Pain Pod. So a little bit about myself. Uh, my family actually has a vineyard over in Italy and we have eight pharmacists in our family or family. So yes, Thanksgiving dinner should probably have CE credit, right? Now, as far as my background, I worked for a decade with CVS Pharmacy climbing the corporate ladder and then was with Humana Healthcare for about five or six years doing telephonic MTM, uh, which uh, led me to developing an MTM pain management program with the DeVry School of Pharmacy. And that became a managed care program as well, too, which all culminates with my current positions of being director of experiential learning and a clinical pain and addiction pharmacist at our W Medicine Pain Clinic. Here on the Pain Pod, we'll be covering pain and addiction like no other. All the headlines, all the time. We'll have some fun, folks. So come one, come all to the Pain Pod.
1: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
0: This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup this podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics industry trends and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics welcome to pgx for pharmacists part of the pharmacy podcast network
2: hi everyone my name is banasarami the host to pgx for pharmacists podcast on the most amazing largest pharmacy podcast in the nation if this is the first time you're tuning in, I'm an MSL for PGX company where I'm creating contents and educating clinicians on the value of PGX and helping interpret the report. I'm also a PGX coach for many years now, helping pharmacists start up their own consulting career and the possibilities out there for them. But enough about me and let me introduce you to our amazing guest, which I'm so proud to have today on the show. Uh, first is Dr. Samit Shah, who serves as the Dean of Regis University School of Pharmacy. Prior to this position, he serves as the Sydney Weinberg Professor and Associate Dean of Academic Affairs at KGI School of Pharmacy and Health Sciences in California. Dr. Shah also served as Assistant Dean and Department Chair of Biopharmaceutical Sciences, KGI. He earned his Bachelor's in Science and Pharmacy from North uh, Gujarat University and his PharmD in Pharmaceutical Science from University of Missouri Kansas City, and his MBA from South University. So, he also received his postdoctoral training at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT. He's a licensed pharmacist and previously worked as a PRN pharmacist in Rite Aid and pharmacist in charge in Health uh, Health OS Clinical and Clinic. Health Wellness Clinic. We also have Dr. Jericho Lamb, assistant professor at Chapman University School of Pharmacy and the director on the board of California Society of Health Science Pharmacists. Dr. Lamb pursued a two year research fellowship at USC School of Pharmacy in HIV Translational Research. Her areas of research interests are on focused on translational research in viral inf- infections, public health issues relating to HIV stigma, medication adherence which is key and increased access to healthcare which is also very important. She's also received grant funding in the area of translational antiviral research in creating and creative educational programs. So we have a lot uh, to talk about and um, they're here with us today. I'll let them introduce themselves, but we also um, were not able to have Dr. Mary Gutierrez Goutte- here with us today. They have all written the book together called Pharmacogenomics, a Primer for Clinicians that focuses on case study, clinical pearls, and treatment recommendations for clinicians. So I appreciate you both being on, on the podcast, and I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. Okay, great. Well, thank you very
1: much, Dr. Tharani, for the the great introductions, and I'll, I'll start off just to add that our um, our third senior editor, Dr. Gutierrez is unable to join us today uh, due to just uh, personal um, uh, reasons for, for personal or family reasons. Um, but we hope that she'll be able to join us in the future on this podcast. And uh, as what Dr. Sarami has nicely introduced, um, I am um, an associate professor at Chapman School of Pharmacy and also have provided uh, presentations on antivirals as well as um, pharmacogenomics. Um, I'll leave it to Dr. Shaw to add anything else to his introductions.
3: Dr. Sarami, thank you so much for inviting us here today. Uh, as you said, I'm the Dean at the Regis University School of Pharmacy. Very excited to be here today and um, um, really excited to also connect with Dr. Lam again after a while. She was really the the force behind getting this book published, and um, we're excited to talk about it today.
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, let's talk about that. So how did you guys uh, tell us a little bit about the book, how it came about, kind of like how you guys got together from different parts and writing the book, and why did you write the book to begin with, and then we can dive in specifically about the awesome uh, table of contents you have on there.
1: Yeah, uh, great uh, opening question. Um the, the concept of the book actually stemmed from just of course it, it was not intentional as many I think many good products out there is that it's it's more I would say accidental in a way, but how how um the concept began was um Uh, Being one of the board of directors on the California Society of Health System Pharmacists, CSHP, organization, um, I I was able to have the opportunity to provide a pharmacogenomics certificate workshop at our annual meetings. And it was running for two to three years. And uh, the first year I did not know Dr. Shaw. And, and basically the second year I, you know, as as we are creating new projects and, and even startup programs, we always want to look back in hindsight and see if we can do a quality assurance and, and reevaluation. And I felt that, you know, I needed someone with their expertise implementation but also in basic science uh just like the core fundamentals of pharmacogenomics and so i i came upon dr shaw and and his great extensive profile and research in genomics and also his his expertise and uh, i asked him to join us in this work group to to develop the certificate program and i believe it was And I apologize, COVID-19 kind of blurred my timeline (laughs) of many things, but I believe our second certificate workshop occurred like around, I would say 2018, around that time or 2017. But um, that's how I got to be introduced to Dr. Shaw through the the circles of of pharmacist friends who, who specialize in this area and uh, we worked together he's a great great collaborator very easy to work with and that's what you want on your team is someone who has great ideas but also easy to work with to get things done efficiently
2: so you guys did a certificate in uh, um, pharmacogenomics together as well
1: Yes. Yes. So, oh, so we, awesome. that, that was how we started. And that's how we yeah. got to know each other. And and of course, he left a everlasting impression on me in terms of just sure. really, really good person to work with. And and so um, when we so, were creating mm-hmm. the second version or, or holding the second workshop for the certificate in pharmacogenomics, we were perusing the various gen- pharmacogenomics textbooks out there. And what we found was basically that the available textbooks out there were, in my mind, geared towards students' uh, education and wasn't really at the high level for practicing clinicians such as pharmacists, physicians, NPs, PAs, et cetera. And so I felt that was a missing gap. And so that's how it, the, the concept began, was that could we fill this gap based on the expertise of people we know? And, and that's how the concept manifested into concrete, tangible production of this textbook.
2: So is the C certification um, for clinicians or for pharmacists?
1: So the first workshop, yeah, the first workshop was primarily geared towards pharmacists. And our audience members were primarily from academic medical centers, as well as those who have expressed interest in practicing pharmacogenomics. And then the second workshop that we we held, it was, again, pharmacists, but we wanted to open it up to physicians and prescribers as as well, but it, it just did not get the traction that we had anticipated. So we still have a higher enrollment but they were mainly uh, pharmacists. I believe there was one nurse in attendance, uh, cause she she also saw the the, the promotion of the workshop. And uh, the main goal was was not to be exclusive. Our main goal was to include everyone and broaden the, the bandwidth of, of all practitioners involved. And, and whether they're either at the novice stage of, of thinking of, of pharmacogenomics, or maybe they're at the intermediate or advanced stage of, of implementing it and practicing it already, we, we hope that that workshop will provide that level of, of confidence in, in all the participants.
2: Yeah, well, that's awesome. We, we do need more clinicians on board. So I'm thinking maybe they can have that as part of the rotation or a mandatory, uh, another section of a class they can take or something where it's, they have to have that piece because it's really important. We know, I know a lot of pharmacists are trying to get into this line of PGX, which is really awesome. But I think to help us all move forward faster, we also need clinicians on board which is helpful if they kind of get more the educational piece around it. And especially with the table of contents you have, I I see you guys have a lot of the chronic conditions touch, which is really awesome.
3: Yeah. And and just to add on that, um, one of the things the book addresses, uh, You know, right after the fundamentals chapter, which is our first uh, chapter in the book, the second chapter, we really just dive into clinical implementation. And one of the big parts of that chapter is how to get this. Uh, buy-in from all stakeholders, uh, whether it's getting the other clinicians on board, uh, whether it's getting the institutional leadership on board. Uh, And so you're absolutely right. And uh, that is one of the things that this book does is just really focuses in on um, on clinical implementation. How do we take this great science and accelerate the adoption and make it easier? Because... um, you know now most schools of pharmacy have some pharmacogenomics in in the curriculum many offer uh, additional elective courses and so we are graduating pharmacists who are pretty comfortable in this topic and there's lots of ces and workshops out there uh, but after this workshop what or after taking a course in pharmacogenomics one of the questions you get from almost all students is well but how do I do this at my community site or if I'm starting at a new hospital where clinicians are not doing it and are really excited and interested but we don't know how to go about it uh this book was to address that gap was how do we take this awesome science and um and understand the barriers with implementing this so that there's a handbook for uh for implementing this and I think the book does it in three or four different ways. One is the organization of the book uh, is such that it's just centered around that implementation. And so we go right from the uh, fundamentals to the implementation, uh, and then the ethical, legal, social issues. Uh, the pharmacogenomic resources and then jump into a variety of the disease states, again organized as to helping clinicians select which service they could use, which test they could use, how they could set up the testing, whether it's in-house or out-of-house. And you know, I, I said the force that really got this book come to life was Dr. Lamb. Uh, but I think other than Dr. Lamb, if there was something else that really made this book happen and make it something that I'm so proud of is the quality of the contributors and uh, authors that we have uh, for the different chapters. Um, As Dr. Gutierrez, Dr. Lam, and I were discussing whom we could reach out to for the different chapters, we really focused on institutions and contributors who had experience with implementing pharmacogenomics at their sites, who, who were really experts in ethical and, and social and legal issues. Um, so It's contributors from the Director of the Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium to University of Florida or Pittsburgh or, or Johns Hopkins, um, et cetera, et cetera, and, and other companies such as Myriad Neuroscience, where again, everybody had this experience with the clinical implementation and could bring uh, and could help others who want to implement this, understand the barriers, understand how to get that buy-in and really move the science forward. The the last thing I would mention therein is each of the disease state chapters, uh, or in fact, all of the chapters have at the end some case scenarios and clinical pulse to sort of just reinforce the key, key topics from each chapter. And then for all of the disease states, instead of just uh, having each disease state sort of organized in a uh, different manner, we've tried to standardize the book so that anybody who wants to start with having a couple of drugs tested or drug gene interactions tested at their site to having a larger uh, number of drug gene interactions uh, implemented at their site, uh, they have a way to go through the different chapters and and make it as clinically relevant as possible. And and we do that by each chapter being organized into um, just starting with really selecting all of the important clinically actionable drug gene interactions for that particular disease state then going into the mechanism for that drug gene interaction, describing the consequence, and then the treatment recommendations based on on the best guidelines out there. So so yeah, sorry, I I went off on a little bit of a tangent there with your question about buying. uh, But I think you're absolutely right that that buying is just so critical in moving this science forward. And that's hopefully what this book helps to address.
2: No, I'm glad you said that because really that's the number one thing that I hear also from pharmacists as well. Like we got the science, we know it's important, it's got value, but how do we, you know, the implementation piece is always missing. So what do you do with that information and how you plan it out in a clinical setting, whether that be a provider's office, whether that being a pharmacy, uh, you know, community pharmacy, like how do you actually plan it out? That's also key because we can have all this knowledge and we want to do it, but if it's not... Um, you know something we can put into practice then that's really useless really and so how I, I like the fact that you have the clinical pearl piece at the end and what that kind of gave me an idea of how cool would it be if like if you're in a clinician's office and sometimes they have either like pamphlets or newsletters or something like that or some of some fancier ones I should say they have little monitors where they're constantly playing a different um you know, um, not necessarily the TV, but like they're advertising whatever, let's say if they're psychiatric, they're advertising different things. So how cool would it be to have like a little mini PGX kind of pearl within that advertising? So even when their patients are sitting, they can also um, get the educational piece or even in a community pharmacy, they can have a little cheat sheet printed out like your clinical pearls posted on, in front of every computer so they know just kind of the main medications that come through the most common uh, ones that with 2D6 or something like that, that we can also give as a little tool handy that can be used. All these little gadgets, it's really helpful. It's just small pieces of information handed out in different ways that's useful. In addition to, of course, the book, which is more comprehensive. So all those tools, it's, it's really important to get the message across. So I appreciate the explanation on that. It got me thinking, <laughs> but yeah. to dive in, um, you know, I know we we talk a lot on the podcast about especially mental health, because that's really key. Um, it, pharmacogenomics also plays a lot in oncology, of course, but we touch a lot on mental health because especially with COVID, unfortunately it has been exacerbated and it takes a long time to get someone mentally stable. And so when but we st- we don't really talk about the ethical or legal issues when it comes to PGX. So I know you, you had that a little bit in the book as well. W- would you mind talking to us about what that is uh, related with PGX? Yeah,
1: I I can go ahead first, and and uh, Dr. Shaw, please chime in uh, when when you want to. I think with regards to the ethical legal issues with pharmacogenomics. I think the the great thing is that, as you've mentioned before, the technology advancements have helped us to get to where we are in in terms of, of understanding the science better. And I think now with Twenty Three and Me, and I mentioned that just to throw it out there, because it's the first and only, de- you know, direct to consumer FDA approved testing kit that everyone is familiar with. And then of course we have Ancestry, but but they're not so specific in in drug and and uh, diseases. But nevertheless, I, I think there, from my understanding, there seems to be a a more I guess a broader acceptance of of having one's gene, genomes uh, be analyzed and and be applied to make better decisions with drug therapies for their decisions, and the ethical issues will still be there. And as I understand it, you know, with COVID stalling so many other great and, and important topics that were kind of going on a momentum for resolution. I think that topic of ethical legal issues in terms of how we archive the, the gene database, as well as how do we use that patient information towards healthcare is going to be debated in the in the very near future. But I think right now with the mention of GeneSight and, and Myriad and other, uh, I would say, mental health uh, data genomics databases, it is already accepted by a, a good number of people who really desire to have their medications be precisely given to them, so that they experience the, the the benefits more than the side effects. And we we understand the side effects with antipsychotics and antidepressants. So so there is already a movement among the mental health population, and we're talking about psychiatrists, psychologists, and even patients in that area who who want. A, a, a medication that will help them with with uh, resistant depression or anxiety that have not been improved by so many other trials of benzodiazepines and and you know antidepressants etc so so that is is you know that is spilling over into the general population in terms of cardiology and we know there is heavily interest and in, in uh, Uh, research in oncology as well and so ID uh, you know that's another topic so I I, I would say you know just just in a snapshot the ethical legal issues will not be as a controversy as we move forward and, and having a wider acceptance among consumers of how their genes and how their genetic makeup will help them receive the best treatment
2: yeah, that's true. And I think providing that education that they're, they're not using, you know, the DNA from the cheek swab is not the same as like, let's say, you know, if you have the gene for the cancer and what are the chances of getting cancer? It's a totally different type of test geared towards medication. So again, the education, if it's there, I think that should not pose any issues. And a lot of the labs that get the DNA swabs and, um, actually discard that after I think a few weeks or a month so it's not there in their system. So a lot of that educational piece is is key.
3: Yeah and to add to that, um, I I think the issues that surround the ethical, legal, social issues with pharmacogenomics are a narrower subset of what you have with genetic testing in general as as was said. Um, and, And as much as they would diminish over time and there would be broader acceptance, I think in the meantime, there are going to be lots of questions as we go through it. And I think the book does a great job of just touching on each of these different stakeholders and, and the questions that each group would have and how could we go over that. From, from a clinician or patient standpoint, the, the question is about, you know, do you require informed consent for PGX testing? What are the... Uh, what about incidental findings? you know uh, obviously you're you're testing for a gene that's you know you're going to be a slow metabolizer or a fast metabolizer it, it's not the same thing as being tested for alzheimer's but what about incidental findings and um, or as our knowledge of genetics continues to um, increase over time if some of these, Other things that are found are at a later point turned out to be pathogenic or likely pathogenic. Um, What about informing a family member? You know, if you are on some sort of neuro medication and figured out that you have a, a variant. Um, for which you might want to use pharmacogenomics and, and and select an appropriate drug. Would you share would would a patient be comfortable sharing that with family members? From a patient perspective, uh, how does this the concern about health insurers, and most of uh, the folks on the PGX podcast are probably familiar with the Genetic Information Non-discrimination Act of two thousand eight, uh, which essentially prohibits the use of genetic information. Uh, for hiring, promotion, and firing decisions, and, and by health insurers in underwriting. Um, but does that sort of um, uh, stop health insurance plans from uh, arguing that particular drugs do not constitute medically appropriate treatments and, and any sort of concerns related to that? And the role of pharmacists in, in formulary decisions, again, as it uh, relates to, to pharmacogenomics. So, uh, So I think Again, agree with exactly what both of you said in terms of um, having wider acceptance as time goes on. Uh, But in the interim, as we go through this implementation stage and as many health systems try to implement this, there are going to be some of these questions. And I think uh, the book serves as a great resource to be able to address uh, these questions and make decisions uh, in, in terms of these ethical uh, implications as as we implement this
2: yeah that that's right um and i think you're talking about gina g-i-n-a is that the yes thing you were talking yes gina? Yes, okay. yes yeah yeah well, i i do know about that yes i think most pharmacists who would and should probably know about that yeah but how my question is it, it's a great book um how do you plan to advertise it to clinicians more than pharmacists? Cause I know us pharmacists are probably jumping on that book right now, but, um, as clin like for clinicians, how do you, how do you post to advertise or get them to buy this book or how we can help to make that happen as well?
1: I think that's a great question. And, um, I'm not a business person to, to know, but what I, what I am, reassured is that ASHP and the American Medical Association have jumped on board to to partner this collaborative uh, webinar that I'm sure both of you have heard about in terms of moving forward with pharmacogenomics. So The next step that I can envision other than just tapping into the McGraw-Hill Publisher is to reach out to ASHP. Uh, just you know, I think it was just a couple of months ago where the last webinar on pharmacogenomics was was held in partnership of uh, from those two organizations, and and just basically to speak with the I guess the the key. Uh, personnel from ASHP to see how we can actually tap into that and bring it to the national forefront of a a, a resource that all clinicians can use. Because I know that now ASHP has really widened their connections with, with other healthcare providers, including the AMA. So that that is one avenue. And also LinkedIn is another avenue. We do are connected with other healthcare professionals outside of the pharmacy world. And so that's another strategy that I hope, you know, the three of us can utilize as well as you, Dr. Sarami, to, to help us in this effort. Of
2: course. Of course, definitely. Yes. Um, and would you, um, so how do you, I know that we talked about this a little earlier, but the reimbursement model, um, have, did you talk about that in the book as well? Um, how does that look like for providers or any other clinical setting to be implemented because i know obviously the value is there so it's a no-brainer but also you know depending on who you talk to the reimbursement piece is also a barrier do you guys talk about that in the book or do you if not do you have insight on that as well
3: yeah, so, so that is absolutely addressed in the book because that is one of the bigger barriers to uh, implementing pharmacogenomics and especially getting that buy-in from institutional leadership and, and, and from the clinicians at almost any site. And you know, I think there are two uh, two barriers here when you really think about it. One is the initial funding to set up the service. And then the second part is the, continuous funding for running the tests and and so on and so forth. And um, the insurance reimbursement right now is quite variable uh, with these tests. So, you know, for example, um, CIP2C19, for certain indications for use of Pepitogrel, it is covered by Medicare and and a few other private insurers, uh, but not across the board. And so what the book does is... uh, Talks about the examples at a few different sites where they were able to establish this service, and how they were able to both address that initial seed funding, and then how they uh, cover the the uh, the regular funding um, for these uh, for these tests. The the one I think that is critical is. Demonstrating the value of these tests, for example, with CYP2C19, you know the decrease in hospital readmissions, for example, uh, and and really outlining the total savings that this is going to uh, have. And once you have that really demonstrated and and uh, to leadership, you see buy-in uh, to set this up. Then, in terms of whether it's something that's funded in-house or whether it's um, Funded from uh, um, uh, for, to to cover the funding for the regular testing, um, there are a couple of different things. For outpatient settings, there's direct reimbursement. For inpatients, um, you know what many institutions try is diagnosis-related group billing, and it's up to the institution whether they want to be part of this DRG billing. Uh, and 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 we cover uh, sort of ways in which we can get buy-in uh, for, these, uh, for these tests. Um, oncology tests are covered to a large extent, and um, and the last thing I would mention here is most of the companies, so there are two ways to set up this service. One is you can set up testing in-house, or you can set up testing and outsources to a lab or a pharmacogenetics testing service that does it. Um, and and the question for each institution will vary. You know, How many tests uh, are we looking to do? Which drug genes do we want to test for? And so there are examples of a couple of different institutions. One was anticipating over a thousand tests and decided to set up the testing in-house. And, um, and, and for another institution, they were not expecting more than a, a hundred tests a year. And then they thought that having a third party would be more effective. Uh, now in the case of third party most companies are charging anywhere from 300 to 400 dollars per test and are very willing to work with the patient to uh and the insurer uh to see if there's any prior authorization needed and and work with um the the patient to get prior authorization needed if if it's needed and also cover the um the the cost uh of testing uh, by limiting it to a certain amount if it's not covered And, and most companies by bringing it to that 300 to $400 range, uh, bring it to that price point, I think, where when you consider all of the other benefits from the therapy uh, or selecting the right medication, uh, you can justify these these costs. But essentially, the book offers tools to, to how to get that buy-in uh, from institutional leadership and, and clinicians um, to be able to push forward with this and the different reimbursement models.
2: I think that's great because that's one important piece. And you mentioned like staying between $300 and $400. I think that's that's not terribly bad if you think about the value, like you said, it provides and all the uh, hospital readmission it saves, all the, co- the co-pays it's going to save to keep going back and forth. But also, also getting someone mentally stable, especially when we're talking about mental health, is, is really priceless because we're not so always talking about... Uh, depression or anxiety we can be talking about bipolar schizophrenia so and then families are affected of the people that have mental disease so you know if you think about all that really it's not um at all very expensive and then you're right a lot of labs are trying to stay within that range which is why they have a certain gene panel that are more specific geared towards let's say mental health and it has a good coverage for um insurance so those are key those are you know those are decreasing all the barriers, which is really important. And I think, uh, again, everybody working together is key, like, you know, insurances, pharmacists, clinicians, and you guys providing all this value in that book, I think that's, that's priceless. Uh, so what advice you guys give the pharmacists to try to um, educate providers and, you know, hopefully promote the book and what, basically what advice you guys have for pharmacists? that know about PGX, but want to learn more, but also want to get the word out there in addition to all of us that we're going to do. Is there, or students that are coming out of pharmacy school.
1: My advice, my main advice for our pharmacists, the, our audience, is if you're contemplating of, or even have expressed some interest in pharmacogenomics, either you're a new graduate or have been out in practice for a while now. Uh, This is a textbook, even though the, the main audience will be clinicians, it is a textbook that is written in a way that it is understood by beginning pharmacogenomic learners as well as advanced learners and and that was our goal was to make sure that the language is palatable for all levels uh, of of learners and and second of all it is definitely different from the other pharmacogenomics textbooks which they are great but it is different because we are taking an angle where this is as what Dr. Shaw initially said we jump right into the implementation part because we recognize that is the gap that that a lot of people have questions about, or that basically, how do I, if I'm interested, how do I get buy-in from my my partners in healthcare? How do I get buy-in from insurance companies? And how do I get reimbursed? So this is a textbook that addresses those key questions that have been lingering in our our pharmacogenomics community for so long. And and so that, that was the angle that we wanted to take was to be different from the other textbooks, in a way that it would address the questions that we have all been asking for for several years now and i'll, I'll defer to dr shaw to add in his points
3: as well yeah i i think i'm going to be a little honest here i, I think there have been a few times in the past where, as pharmacists we have uh, let other professions take our meals and um this this is a this is something that pharmacists are trained to do we understand biology we learn science we understand pharmacology and once we understand the implementation piece we are here at a unique opportunity to to make an incredible uh, impact on healthcare and uh, by by helping tailor and and find the right medications and the right dosage and I, I think as everybody understands the science, the question is as new pharmacists or as pharmacists who've been there for a while, start having these conversations with institutional leadership, with the clinicians. And my first uh, few interactions along these lines have always been about, well, why are we not doing it right now? And and how can we start doing this? Uh, once you explain the science, it it is just so cool and so valuable and so easy to explain that almost everybody gets on board and then obviously as you start getting into the implementation stages the questions start about how are we going to pay for it are there outcomes that demonstrate it is better and and has better value and so i think there are two parts here one is to start having these initial conversations to see the level of interest and almost any progressive uh, healthcare institution and healthcare system wants to move forward with this and implement that. And, and And so that's why it's necessary to start having these conversations. And as the next step, it is so what are the better outcomes that we are talking about and how are we funding uh, for these? And for that second step, it is just arming ourselves with as much knowledge and resources, as possible to be able to answer and address these questions. And so this book provides a fantastic foundation to be able to address those questions. And in addition, preparing some key points on some of the outcomes related to the savings related to pharmacogenomics and the value that pharmacogenomics provides and, and being armed with that is the way we are going to move this forward and help truly millions of patients. I mean, I, I'll just talk about myself. I, I got my test done a few years back and I'm a poor metabolizer of, of clopidogrel, which, you know, 20, 25% of the population is. And not having known that, you know, if I needed a drug in that class, I would be put on clopidogrel, not realizing that it would not work for me. And I think it's a a responsibility we have at this point to ensure that for several of these drugs where we have a way to identify right from the get-go, which would be the best medication for a patient based on their genetic profile, um, we, we really have a responsibility here to ensure that we are taking the science forward and, and, and leading to the implementation.
2: Those are great points. And uh, we appreciate all you guys' efforts and time you put into create this book and the information that's in it. For our listeners, if they have any questions, either connect with you both or find where to buy the book and also the CE that you guys offer. Where can they go to find that, those informations?
1: With regards to the book, I I would say definitely it's, it's sold on Amazon. I, I I know of a few colleagues and friends who have looked into our book, and have uh, purchased it from Amazon. And also in the academic center, it is part of Access Pharmacy from McGraw Hill, and that is part of the academic Inst- institutions contract. So it is available there. If one if one of your listeners are from the academic uh, organization. They can access our, our textbook. It's already online there. Uh, with regards to CE, we, we did not provide that for this textbook. Um, and that was something that we, we kind of went away when When we had the certificate program, we did provide a certificate of completion for participating in an all day workshop with us, including CE credits. But for this textbook, we did not provide that simply because it was was basically challenging to to even monitor who would be completing that and also having to work with an external website platform to provide that accreditation status. Uh,
3: However, I would just add that um, There are, if for somebody who is not very familiar with pharmacogenomics, there are a few different Cs available out there. Uh, And and then uh, we'll potentially consider coming up with some CE over the next year that that really focuses on the implementation piece if if there would be interest there.
2: Yeah, that would be nice. Well, I appreciate you guys both coming on, Uh, really do. I hope um, the listeners are actually tuning in and look up. The book called Pharmacogenomics, a primer for clinicians that can be found on Amazon. So I hope everybody has a chance to go on Amazon and look at that. So thank you everybody for tuning in and please tune in next time where we have another awesome speaker you don't want to miss. And don't forget to share this link so everyone can also listen on PGX Performances podcast, the largest pharmacy podcast network. Now, there's no other place you can go to get all your PGX needs. And we do a lot of PGXing in here. Yeah. Yes. I did say the word PGXing. That's a word I use a lot. Great. Thank you very much for, for your attention.
0: Thank you for having us here. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit PGX4RX.com. That's PGX4RX.com.